This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today we are welcoming back Brianna Kappa. Brianna is a licensed marriage and family therapist who practices out of South Bay, California, and you might remember her from our Mindful Mothering episode. Today, she is here to talk with us about all things play. I went on this major journey understanding play and its importance for my boys, I want to say about a year ago, and got introduced to all different types of terms that I did not know about. And it was really kind of fundamental and really important for how I structure my kids' playroom and our routine at home and so many important things. So I thought it would be important to bring Brianna on to really talk and hash out some of these topics. So in this episode, you'll learn all about independent play, why it's important and how we help to foster it, and also about how our our children communicate with us through play and through their behavior. We also talk about realistic expectations in terms of how much time really as moms we need to be down on the floor playing with our kids because I, I get that a lot from moms. You know, I just, I don't want to like, they always want me to sit and play. I have so many things to do, you know, and what, how do we practically structure that? What does it look like? So important. And we also talk about the types of quality toys to have in your playroom that foster imagination, creativity, and open-ended imaginative play. Along with this episode, Brianna also has sent a freebie along that I'm going to email out to my email list. And you can also find a link to it in the show notes. And this is a guide about all the kind of quality important toys to have in your playroom. And you can also use it as a shopping slash gift giving guide for this upcoming holiday season. Speaking of holidays, I just wanted to let you guys know that this is going to be the last episode of season one of the Happy as a Mother podcast. We made it through an entire season and I'm getting to know all of you so well and I am so incredibly grateful that you are here. This podcast has had such an amazing response from each of you and I'm so happy to be connecting and getting your messages from Italy and from Switzerland and from the UK and from all over the place where you may not have access access to resources, but here we are together building community, feeling understood, feeling feeling seen, and feeling recognized. So I'm so grateful that you're here. I will return back mid-January with season two of the Happiest Mother podcast. And before we get into it, let's read the review of the week. This review comes from Liza0409. The type of podcast every woman slash mother should be listening to. This podcast series has been such a blessing to me, and I feel so supported and empowered listening to you and your interviewed guests. Postpartum body really spoke to me and made me more aware of how I speak about my body and food, especially with my toddler. I have been sharing your series with all of the women that surround me in hopes that they feel inspired too. Keep rocking on, Mama. Thank you so much for this incredible review. I wish you all a wonderful holiday season, and I will see you back here in January. Oh, 
Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Brianna, thank you so much for joining us here today. I just couldn't wait to have you back. I've had such amazing feedback about our mindful mothering episode and people have just re-listened to it and learned so much and been so challenged by our conversation. So thank you for coming back and joining us. I'm so excited. Thank you. Today, we are talking about a much different and kind of more lighthearted topic, I guess we could say. We are diving into play and what the purpose of play is, all the things play. Like, I'm so excited. Uh, And you're so qualified to speak to this in so many ways. But I've just recently learned that you are also like a drama and play therapist. So help us understand Uh your specialty in this area. Absolutely. Yes. I am a registered drama therapist. Um, Many people don't know this, but I went to New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, and I have a bachelor's of fine arts in drama. And it actually is the theater that um, was a place that I sought as a young child to escape um, a lot of things about myself. And I found the theater such an, and, and playfulness in general, such an incredible place for me to um, have a cathartic experience and understand myself and understand my world and um, in a new way. And then when I went to art school and I'm studying drama there, um, a lot of things, it's really that, it was really that experience that alerted me that things were not um, so great for me. And I I was unaware that I had even traumas and things of that nature. And um, it was my, one of my theater teachers actually that said, I think you should look into therapy. And that led me into um, going to my own therapy, um, doing some drama therapy on my own in my therapy sessions. That's so interesting. I know. It's so cool. And then I, yeah, made my way over here to California, studied drama therapy, um, and then started doing drama therapy with children and families. So that's kind of the nature of my 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 therapy um, and what I do with families under five. A lot of it is drama and um, play therapy. So we are using these distanced, we call them distanced techniques to try to understand how the child is thinking and feeling about the world around them. And that is really the benefit of every parent um, getting into and understanding their child's play. Because when we do that, it's like the gateway to our child's internal world. It really helps us understand our children on a much deeper level. Hmm. It's so mm-hmm. interesting. Like I, I've been in the like not the maternal mental health. I've been in the mental health field for ten years, mm-hmm. maternal mental health in the past like year or so. 
And how did I not even know that drama therapy was a thing? Like that, like it blows my mind how every time I do, you know, like I collaborate with other professionals and I do these interviews, my eyes are just open to this new area. Like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But I That's absolutely right. love that. But it makes so much sense because I see you in your stories beautifully singing to your little boy and doing these things. And it just makes so much sense. It's like, I wish that I could join your groups and you're so much fun. So, okay. And so I love it. And you're like perfectly qualified to speak to this play topic today. And this is something, mm-hmm. again, as, since I've having children and since specializing in maternal mental health, I've really become passionate about understanding play, understanding mm-hmm. the purpose of play for our children, um, like if there are different qualities of play, all, all the things. Mm-hmm. So first, if we can talk about like what play is and what is independent play. Absolutely. So independent play is child-led play um, that fosters our child's full development. And when we allow our children to play independently, so many important things will happen. First, I think the most important thing is that our child gets to be in complete control. There's so many areas and aspects of our child's life where they just don't get to be in complete control. And play is one of those where our child needs to have an outlet to be able to express all of those um, thoughts and feelings and needs around control. It's very empowering for them. Um, Play is also a place where our children will express and explore all of their thoughts and their feelings about the world around them. Um, It really becomes an outlet for them to process their internal experiences. And when we give them the freedom and independence to do this, play it really just becomes the perfect place for that to happen for our children. Um, I would also say that it's where our children gets to exercise their natural scientific abilities. Most child development specialists um, will agree that babies and toddlers are the best scientists because they are so willing to test their hypotheses over and over and over again. And they have these incredible observational skills where they can see nuanced things that we simply are not attuned to. Um, I find it so fascinating um, to watch a child play with a toy in a way maybe I wouldn't play with it or even in a way that kind of seems strange um, only to get down to their level and to discover exactly how they are seeing the world. And that's happened so many times with my son. He would take a block and he'll be banging it on a table. And from my perspective, it looks like my son is just banging a block. But when I get down to his level, I see that he's banging it on one side of the table and then he bangs it on another side. And when I'm listening, it actually sounds different when he bangs it on one side of the table to the other side. So he's playing with sound and he's playing with rhythm just by banging this block. But it really takes that uh, takes that in me to get down to his level and really try to experience what he is experiencing. Um, and I think that when we are willing to do that and see the world, how our children are seeing it, we create a sense of emotional safety. So it goes above just be meeting basic needs and physical safety for our children, but that, that need to feel seen and that need to feel felt and heard and understood that this is a need that our children have from us. And I really believe that in independent play, we get out of the way and we create space for that to happen. Hmm. Like I've heard it said that play is the work of a child. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And you talk about it. That's Maria Montessori. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like where, mm-hmm. um, and like, and also like in our play therapy and at, and at the office at work, we work with a lot of play therapy as well. It's that mm-hmm. um, like kids kind of externalize and process things through in their play, like you were saying. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. does that mean that the quality of play differs and matters? And, and how can that look? How would a parent know, for example, if their kid can really play independently or what the quality of their kids play looks like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I like to not really judge um, the play based on uh, based on quality. Um, I really think how a child plays is important to uh, in terms that it speaks to where that child is at in that moment, right? Children are extremely present and they are going to be expressing exactly what is going on for them in the moment through their play. Um, now, the idea of independent play can can be a little confusing because independent play is not necessarily a child playing by themselves for long periods of time. Independent, or what I really like to specify as child-led play, is the child is in charge of the pace of the play, of the content of the play, of how the play moves and shifts and changes. Um, and and what we like to see as children become older um, is that the the you know the the focus and the attention on one activity gets longer and longer as the child gets older i would only say like the quality of the play is problematic is you know if the child out in social spheres is really disengaged from other children and i don't mean playing by themselves when other children are playing together i mean playing in in non-functional ways, maybe kind of spinning around in circles and looking in their own world, right? That would be, um, you know, the quality there would be of concern and we'd want to address that. Or if a child is kind of like a pinball, you know, like a five-year-old who's a pinball and really is struggling to stay regulated in one task of, of playing. And okay, so then there, the quality of play might be something we want to look at and it might be a way that we can actually help promote and support that child's regulation. Mm-hmm. But I really find that that um, this this process really happens naturally, the, and the, the desire to want to lead play and the desire to want to play um, and be in, be in charge of their play in this independent way um, is very natural for children. It's actually unnatural for us. We want to be the ones to control it. You know, we control our children's play when we ask questions. When we say, what are you doing? What color is that? What shape is that? Where does that go? Oh, that's not right. Put that where it needs to go. Now I've taken the lead. I am completely leading my child's play instead of my child being the being the one in charge. And what this creates is this dynamic where the child feels like, oh, here's another place where I have to make sure that I'm pleasing my parent, mm. right? Because that's that's the child's mentality. They're not thinking, "Oh wow, look at my wonderful parent who's trying to teach me a lesson." Right? <laughs> right? They don't. They don't think. They don't think of it like that. They think, "Gosh, this is my space. This is where I'm supposed to be able to, you know, put put my things out there." And I just need my parent to listen. I just need you to sit and watch, and wait and wonder and be curious about me. And I think we all benefit when when we can implement that just a little bit in our day to day lives with our children. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I have a little bit of like a personal example when I'm talking like sort of what I mean in terms of like quality of play, because I think you touched on it is like, okay, so, and I think you had seen this in my stories before we've dialogued about this a little bit, but I had this like playroom and, you know, it's like the, the playroom in the basement where all the toys go, like all the things that all the people buy. And so Mm -hmm. it became this space where um, the shelves were just like overpacked and just like jammed Mm -hmm. full of all kinds of toys that are like really overstimulating, lots of lights, lots of sounds, lots of, lots of just stuff. Right. And Mm -hmm. so when we would go into this like basement playroom, this playroom to play, I noticed that it just became about pulling things off the shelves and kind of throwing them around. And to me, that's not, there's no like real quality or substance to that play. Right. There, there is though. They're telling, their play is telling us something. Mm -hmm. Their play is is telling us I'm disorganized. Interesting. I'm dysregulated. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It's absolutely meaningful. He, they're saying what is happening is too stimulating for me and maybe I want to make a mess of it. Maybe I want to show you, mom, that things feel a little messy inside. Mm. That's how we read and, and try to make sense and understand um, what our children are trying to communicate. And we can we can absolutely support that, right? right? Gosh, I see that when we come down to the basement, you want to pull all the toys off the shelf. I wonder if there are too many um, on, on too many things available. And that makes your brain feel a little crazy inside. Mm-hmm. Too many options. And then mm-hmm. let's see too many options. Oh yeah. And speak to how it, how you, you know, wonder, I wonder how that makes your brain feel inside. And then we can let the kiddos tell us how, how it makes them feel inside. Um, and they might tell us with words, they might show us with their bodies. They might run around in circles <laughs> and if they run around in circles, then I think it's saying, Oh, okay, maybe it's too much. Yeah. I'm going to put some of these toys away. I'm going to put them in a box. And every couple of days, I'm going to put out new toys for yeah. you. You know, we can do some toy rotations. Um, we can also get rid of those toys that light up. I'm not a big fan of Yeah, those. so let's talk about um, the types of tools for mm-hmm. play, like the types of toys yeah. that are, are sort of helpful to foster this type of play for mm-hmm. our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really think toys that are simple, um, that you know don't d- don't necessarily need to come with instructions, um, that invite the child's curiosity, and that the child can figure out multiple ways to play with that toy. Um, I think those are usually the best types of toys. Um, toys that light up. Uh, those toys are actually hyper-stimulating for the visual and auditory senses. Um, and they direct, they often do a lot of directing of the child's attention. Um, so they can, um, you know, promote uh, a lack of attention skills, actually. And um, the philosophy that we like to say is the more a toy does, the less your child does. Mm-hmm. And the less a toy does, the more your child does. Um, I like toys that children can manipulate and change. Um, for for young children, um, you know, children under two, we're looking at like, you know, things that twist and things that shake and, you know, musical instruments and blocks and things that build, things that they can knock over. Beading tools are a great, um, like another great tool for, for children. Um, a small kitchen set where the child can practice life skills um, is also 
important. Getting outside for all ages, getting outside and jumping and running and moving and making mud pies and discovering worms and throwing rocks and climbing trees. Those are really important ways um, for our children to play. Notice how most of the things I'm saying aren't even really toys necessarily. They can just be things that are around your house. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know for us, uh, we could have, I could have all the best toys in the whole wide world and an Amazon box comes in and that's all my son wants to play with. <laughs> well, totally. And I think that this is like a frustration of parents who, you know, make sure that mm-hmm. their kids have the latest gear and all the things, or they get all these toys or like, let's say Christmas morning and they've unwrapped all these presents. And then their kids like rolling around in the paper that came off the presents, you know, and it's just a, it's a shift in mindset to understand that less can be more. Yeah, absolutely. Less is more. I mean, I feel like that is just a general parenting in everything, not even just toys, but but really in general, less is more when it comes to raising our children. But yes, um, in terms of our in terms of our toys, if we, you know, are getting our child one thing, um, like like this year, for example, we'll be getting um Mateo a a kitchen set because he is really interested in what we're doing in the kitchen. I'm following his lead. I'm watching him. He hangs out with me in the kitchen every time I go in. He's really excited by the sifter and the mixing bowl. And he likes to, he's even practicing pouring water into his own cup. This is something that he has shown me over time that he's really interested in. Even when I bring him to my office, that's what he wants to play with. So it doesn't have to, it, 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 it doesn't need to be like an arbitrary toy because that's what every kiddo is getting. It can be something that your child is really showing interest in. And again, it kind of brings me back to that importance of child-led play and listening to our children through play. They are going to tell us exactly who they are, what they want, what they desire, what they need. If we just take a moment to sit back and do those three W's, watch, wait, and wonder. Mm -hmm. I think it's a big adjustment for most parents though. Because if I think back to um, that example that I was giving about sort of the overstimulating playroom, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have connected at that time without the knowledge that that the dysregulation in their play was because of the space. I just did not have mm-hmm. that knowledge at the time. When I started to learn, I was like, oh my goodness. So I learned about, a, like, I learned about a couple of things. I learned about um, sort of open-ended toys and mm-hmm. I learned about toy rotations and like playroom rotations. And those mm-hmm things were like magical discoveries for me Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. my children regulated themselves in play. So for those who are listening who maybe are not familiar with what it looks like to um, find, and you talked a little bit about like what an open-ended toy is, maybe we can explore it a little bit more. And also like, how do we organize our toy room so that it feels like a welcoming place for creativity and play rather than like a dysregulating place? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm so obsessed with this question. Um, Okay. So open-ended toys are toys that um, have multiple uses. And like I said earlier, don't really require any directions. Um, Your child gets to be the leader in how they would like to play with them. So think like baby dolls. That's an open-ended toy. Um, 
We have uh, blocks. That's an open-ended toy. Um, even like things that you things that you pound. Um, those can be open-ended toys. Um, a kitchen set, open-ended. A sand and play-doh and other sensory tools are open-ended. Um, a dollhouse with figurines. I'm bringing up. Let me just really quickly do a do a quick tangent. Dollhouses and dolls um, are really important for every child's playroom not just girls, um, because those dolls and dollhouses really activate empathy and nurturing and caretaking. And we want to encourage these skills in all of our children, not just our girls. Just like blocks and trucks and um, Legos and things like that are not just boy toys. Um, those are also toys that are incredibly essential for a girl's playroom because those activate all those important STEM skills, the science, mm -hmm. technology, engineering, and math. So that's a little aside. And then in terms of how do we set up our, our play space? So toy rotation is a wonderful way to do that. Um, the way that we've done it is I have um, some bins uh, with toys in each bin that are for all of the different um, stages of uh, aspects, I should say, of, a, of my son's development or all children's development. So physical, social, emotional, um, sensory, and cognitive. Um, and so I have my toys broken down um, based upon, you know, what what um, aspect of my child's development does this toy satisfy? And then I have um, two bins and one bin of just blocks because we have blocks every day. He's 18 months. <clears throat> I just think blocks are are essential essential tools. Um, really, like help. a staple. It's, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a staple for every for every playroom. Um, and then I I. I switch them out um, every, I personally switch them out every other day, but I know that's a lot of work um, and it's not necessary to switch them out every other day. Um, you could switch them out every couple days, every three, four days. Um, you could also, yeah. you know, for children who are a little bit older, you know, um, I would say like three and up, you could have just a few toys out um, in, you know, an open, you know, like an open cubby system almost. Um, I, you know, I think about my playroom, um, in my therapy office, I have dolls on one shelf. I have superheroes on another shelf. I have dinosaurs and animal families on another shelf. I have a box with all of my people and all of my figurines and dollhouse figurines in another box. I have a bin dedicated just to blocks. I have a small shelf with books. I have a kitchen and then I have a small table and a small chair for the child to be able to sit down and either pretend to eat or play with Play-Doh, color, draw, um, play with, um, you know, we, we, I do a lot of beans. So we stick our hands in beans um, for regulation, sand, etc. So, you know, mm -hmm. it, it really, it, and, and also I should say it should be tailored to your child so we can set it up and then watch our child. How does our child play in this way that we've set it up? Does my child take out a toy and sit down and play with that toy? Is my child's body relaxed when they're playing with that toy? Does my child look joyful? Does he look happy? Um, is my child vocalizing in some way? If they're nonverbal yet, are they are they making sounds? If they're verbal and saying words, are they kind of narrating and talking out loud about what they're doing? Does my child come mm. to me and invite me to sit down and watch them play or even to play with them? All of those things are are 
great um, physiological cues that our child is regulated and really enjoying this this space. And if that's the case, keep it up. Keep doing it. That sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if my child is tense, if their eyebrows are furrowing, if their body is splaying out of midline, meaning like the hands are kind of going outward and the legs are going outward, if they're backing, arching their back, if their you know, tone of voice is yelling and, and screaming, if they they, they, if they look dysregulated, okay, well, let me shift my environment a little bit and let me see, does that help promote my child's regulation a little bit more? And really, I think for most of us, it's going to be trial and error um, just to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As soon as I started making some of the changes, so I like, first of all, I got rid of the toys that I didn't find were open-ended and that did sort of all the work of playing and making all the noises and, you know, doing all the things for the child. And I kind of really siphoned those out of our rotation and, and, and gave a lot of them away and just kind of, you know, got rid of them. And then I, mm-hmm. I purchased some more like open-ended toys. We've got like magnetic blocks and different things that they can build with. They love, my boys love to build. And we got uh, like a way to play. It's called like a rubber road set where they can build all these different types of like road tracks around for their cars and different things. So yeah, so I invested in some really, and that's the thing about some of these open-ended toys are they are more expensive, but Uh they're going to last your child through all the stages of development because they're, they're open-ended. So they can be used and and manipulated in different ways versus that one toy that you just push the button and like the thing pops out and it just does that one task. And then, you know, and then your kid Mm -hmm. discards it type of thing. So I found that when I started to make these changes, I got rid of a lot of the toys I brought in some more um, open-ended toys. And I really made a point of only trying to put like one or two things on each sort of shelf or cube of our shelf so that um, less was there. And it was a lot more sort of simple, but Mm -hmm. it was more inviting and and they could see each toy and kind of walk up and manipulate it and choose a toy. And I kind of, it was like an experiment for me because I wasn't really sure how they were going to react. I had done a lot of reading, mostly like Montessori style play, um, just trying to understand like why this is even important, you know, like why, why am I investing so much time in this? And, and is it that, is it actually really that important? And it was all very new to me at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, so like I brought my kids down and I, I thought like, you know, you would think that they would have been like bored or like, oh my gosh, where did all my toys go? Or like have some like strong reaction. Um, but I was amazed because they went downstairs and they were like, oh, like it's different. This is really neat. And then they just like, really gently grabbed toys off the shelf and like started playing. Brilliant. And before they they were like jumping, like bouncing off the walls and like, you know, jumping around and like dumping buckets and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So it was like like a really interesting Mm -hmm. experience. Absolutely. They were organized. The The toys were organized and it helped them internally organize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I look, I, this has been reinforced more and more as I've done more research. And like, I just recently um, listened to Simplicity Parenting mm. as well. I believe that's what it's mm-hmm. called, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really about like, it's like stripping back sort of some of the chaos and all of the things and all of the stuff to just really baseline quality, like important things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, so much more than that. The book is about so much more than that. But, um, and it just really kind of helped give me this perspective that, like, also, 
I'm having a couple thoughts at the same time here, but also when we're talking about independent play, um, my my children could sit and focus on an activity mm-hmm. for longer on their own without bickering with each other, which they still mm-hmm. definitely do. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, or without really needing me to like come in and do the play for them or like constantly bringing me into it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Because when we, you know, when the environment is, is, you know, created for our child to be able to play and the child feels invited to be able to play in a way that feels really good for them. And we sit back and not try to, you know, not try to change or direct our child's attention in any way or try to control it, then our child can really exercise their own self-esteem and their own sense of capability and their own needs for self-mastery. And play, you know, especially between 18 and 36 months, this need for autonomy and self-mastery is, it's the highest it will it will be um, in the lifespan between 18 and 36 months. And so when we give them that, that opportunity to work through that, and we get to be a witness. That's what I like to say. We play the witness. So more just watching and observing and noticing. Um, Our child can stumble and be frustrated, but work through it and discover how to solve whatever problems are coming up for them in their play. And it isn't about them needing our help to rescue them from the experience, but really about them learning problem-solving skills, Um, really about them using negotiation skills, especially if they have siblings. But if they don't, then they're playing with other children and they're learning negotiation skills with those siblings. Um, The best thing that we can do, um, you know, you're talking about setting up the environment and that's a physical intervention. And I'm talking, I want to also touch on that emotional, um, the emotional environment, which is really pulling ourselves back from trying to control what is going on in our children's play. It will really send the message to our child that they get to be in complete charge of what it is that they're trying to do. And it will boost their confidence and will help them learn to solve problems on their own, in their own terms. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It does. It does. And and that leads me to my ne- next question that you had mentioned, the watch, wait, wonder, right? Mm-hmm. So like parents who, because like my... Playing independently doesn't mean like we're off washing the dishes while our kids are playing. Like sometimes it does. And, and those are wonderful mm-hmm. moments when we get to fit in a little time. <laughs> <laughs> those are lovely. Um, you feel like super, super mom when those things happen. Right, right. And then, um, and so, and so that's definitely a part of it. We're building our child's attention span so that, you know, they don't need us to be actively engaged in their play all the time. And that, that is a benefit of independent play. Um mm-hmm. But other times, you know, our child does want us to sit on the the playroom floor or wherever they are and be present with them. And what does that look like for a parent? Like, what does that watch, wait, wonder really look like? What are some practical ways we can do that? Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. 
Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. Okay, so I lead these exercises with moms and babies starting at three months old. Oh my word. Because I, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Because I think it is a skill that takes a long time to be able to get into our bodies. Um, we sit down on in a comfortable chair. It's important. I think having a floor chair in your child's playroom is really important. It does not need to be anything fancy, but it should be something that makes you feel supported and you feel physically comfortable um, so that you can really send a message with your body that you are present 
and you are relaxed. Our phones need to be put away. And I think we need to be present and aware of whatever is coming up for us in the moment as we're watching our child play. Are we finding that our brain is kind of getting going away from whatever experience we're having? Are we dazing off, uh, you know, as we're watching our child play? Um, and if that's the case, no judgment, just bringing our attention back to what we see our child doing with their hands. I think that's a great place to start. What do I see my child doing with their hands? If we have really, really tiny babies, they may not be doing a whole lot with their hands. So we're going to follow their eyes. Where where are my child's eyes going? What is my child showing me that they are interested in? And I'm when I'm so that's part of the watching. Okay. I'm really just allowing myself to be present. And I am simply watching and observing. And here's the important part without judgment. And judgment Mm. can be both good or bad, right? Judgment can be, wow, look how smart my child is. Judgment can also be, why isn't my child doing what the other child is doing? Or I don't, my child, my child's four months, they should be rolling over or something like that. Those are all, those are all judgments that we're going to really just try to put, put aside. Um, and then the, the waiting part is really, that when that anxiety pops up for us that we see our child is struggling and it'd be so much faster if we just fix it. You know, for example, my son is working on beating right now. I've been talking about this in my stories lately. And he Yeah, I love them. And they're nice big chunky beats too. Like they're great for his age. Perfect for his age. But he he is still working on getting that string through and pulling it through the other side. And I really have to hold myself and check myself before I wreck myself because it would be so much easier if I just do it for him, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I'm so guilty of that at we times, all for are. sure. We all are because we yeah. go to the benevolent intent. What is the what is the positive intention? I want to help my kid. Oh, it's a, totally. totally. It's like, yeah, and they get frustrated and they're huffing that they can't exactly. do it. And, you know, like there's this whole wrestling with themselves that and goes on. Like, Let me rescue you from this, you know, perceived pain here. Now I'm going yeah. to invite all of everybody who's listening to this to do something different. And that is to actually wait. That's to sit back, take a deep breath, and maybe here you can offer some kind of narration of what you see happening. Janet Lansbury calls it sports casting. In infant mental health, we call it um, narrations. And so maybe I would say something like, gosh, I, I see you're working really hard to get that, to get that string through your beat. Now I am, I am letting my son know that I see what is happening for him. I'm not judging it. I'm just simply stating um, a fact of what I see. I'm not saying, you know, tell me about the color of that bead. What is the shape of that bead? Here, do you need my help? Oh, it looks like you can't do it. Let me do it for you, right? That is all, again, that's me right. taking control. That is not me waiting and being curious. That's me acting on my anxiety and trying to control what my child is doing. And if we go back to the very, very beginning of what we were saying, it is so essential that our children have complete control because what Maria Montessori said, play is a child's work. This is how our children are learning how to be in the world through play. Mm-hmm. And then that wonder mm-hmm. is that curiosity. I wonder, you know, I wonder if, if you... I don't know what I would say in that moment. I, I personally probably wouldn't say anything, but maybe if my child was 
going to climb up on something um, that, that, that he's not supposed to climb up on. Perhaps I'd say, I wonder if you really need to move your body in a big way right now. And I want to see, does that offer a little redirection for my child to try something else that is safer for him to, to climb? Um, so those are examples of how we can watch, wait, and wonder while we are, um, you know, being present and engaged with our children. Um, and these techniques build build mm-hmm. emotional safety. They build attunement. It really allows us to be curious about our children. You know, your example of um, y- your children being kind of disorganized by the by the chaos of of the playroom. That would be a great opportunity to watch, wait, and wonder. Right, we sit back and we watch and we notice that. Gosh, I'm noticing that you are spinning in in circles, or you're dumping all the toys out. I wonder if this feels um, like it feels too busy in here. That could be a wondering statement where I'm trying to say to my child, "Hey, look, I'm I am trying to connect to what's going on for you internally. I'm not just talking about your outside experience, your behaviors, but I really want to speak to." your internal world as well and connect with you there. Hmm. I think that though that weight piece is so important when we're talking about fostering mm-hmm. independent play uh, because if we're stepping in and helping mm-hmm. and doing the task for the child, then they're becoming dependent on us in their play to like solve some of the problems or like anytime they come up against something that's a little bit challenging or difficult, then it's like, mommy, can you come help me with this? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that waiting piece and like mm-hmm. sitting with that uncomfortable tension and sort of knowing how to observe in those moments is so important. Absolutely. And, and even knowing how to respond to those kinds of things, right? I wonder yeah. how you, I wonder how you might solve your problem first. Hmm. That's yeah. a statement I say to children probably every single day. And I will tell you that they always surprise me. They come up with ways to solve their problems and the amount of pride that a young child will show when they can solve their own problem is really, um, it's infectious. You like it. You want to see more of it because you can see that this child feels very pleased with themselves. And I think that is such an important experience for our young children to have, to know that they are, um, that they're capable, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what might be some other sort of statements or things that you can encourage moms to say if they're like, uh, or, or like if if the mom is tied up and they want mom's attention right in that moment mm-hmm. is is a common one, right? So mm-hmm. like, if, or if you've got multiple children and it's like, mommy, come play with me. I yeah. want to play Paw Patrols or something. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, baby. I see you really, really want me to play with you. First, mommy has to finish the dishes and then you will have my full attention. I think it will take me And then you say, how many minutes? I think it will take me 10 minutes to wash the dishes. I'm going to set a timer. And when that timer goes off, I will be ready to play with you. I wonder Mm -hmm. what you can do while while you wait. Okay. And like Mm -hmm. redirect them to something during their their time that they've got to kind of occupy themselves or to wait for you. Yeah. Leave it up to them. Mm -hmm. I wonder what you can do while you wait. I don't Mm -hmm. even need to suggest something. I can just simply... I can let them know that this is what is happening. Um, and 
leave it up to my child to figure it out. Now, if it's my child, Mateo, he will join me in the kitchen and will climb up into his learning tower and will want to try to wash dishes and, <laughs> and try to be engaged in what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I, I welcome that. And I think that is, that's fabulous. Um, but there are also times where he, you know, accepts those, those things. And my son is only 18 months, right? He's not even fully, fully verbal. Um, but he does, you know, pull on me and asks me to play with him. And, you know, I, I do on the occasion have to say these kinds of statements to him and he, you know, kind of looks at me and maybe goes to the little area where we have his books and he sits and reads himself some books for that time until I'm ready to play with him. But he, but there is a level of trust that has been built. And this is also, I think, an important message for parents. When we show up to watch our child play, what we are really doing is sending a message to them. I see you. What you have to say is important to me. You matter. I make time for you. And these subliminal messages is what leads to a sense of safety, emotional safety, and trust between us and our children. And our and 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 when we are consistent in that and we are predictable there. I'm not saying we need to be playing on the floor all day with our kids. Research shows 15 minutes of presence in play a day with our child is enough. Um hmm. yeah, that's enough. Well this is gonna be like that was gonna be my question. Yeah, go it's ahead. like like, yeah, like how how much sort of of that really tuned in, you know, mindful time do parents need to be spending? Because I speak with a lot of moms who feel guilty about not wanting to play with their kids. Well, or, absolutely, you know, because yeah. they feel like they need to be doing it all day, every day, or else they're a bad mom. Right. And that's really an in, incorrect message, and that's not in line with um, our research around what children need. It's not even in line with our research of being a good enough mother, right? The good enough mother is attuned and responsive to her child in a timely enough manner one-third of the time. That's 33%. All the rest right. of the time, she can really get it wrong, and that child is resilient enough and can tolerate our failures and our mistakes and still have a healthy, secure attachment. Same thing when it comes to play. Um, really, a PCIT, parent-child interaction therapy, says only five minutes is necessary. If we are doing five minutes of child-led play and we are responding to our children in affirmative, positive, warm, loving ways, that is enough for our children yeah. to feel safe with us. I like to say anywhere from five to 15 minutes. And if, especially if you're a parent who just play is not your thing. And guess what? There's lots of parents like that. And I don't think you should feel ashamed if that's your, if that's your case. Mm -hmm. Then the watch, wait, and wonder will probably feel fantastic for that parent because you don't have yeah. to do much other than sit and observe what you see your child doing and, and, you know, maybe, maybe delight in it for, you know, delight in, in their, in their delight to see their, see their yeah. joy in it. And, and likely you will also feel joy just by watching your child's joy. Um, and then set a timer for yourself after 15 minutes, you know, say, okay, mommy is all done watching you play. You get to keep playing. Mommy, mm -hmm. mommy's going to go take a break. And go take a break. Yeah, no problem. Like, 
Yeah, I love that. And I love that that's a really realistic, like achievable standard that moms can like, I can commit to like five, five to 10 minutes a day, set a timer and have some present time with the kids, Absolutely. you know, um, even on like busier days and things like that. That's something that, um, that is, seems more doable because I will own it. I am not one of those moms that loves getting down and playing with my kids for one, because I'm, I'm a doer. I'm not like a super imaginative play type of person. Mm -hmm. It's really unnatural Mm -hmm. for me really uncomfortable for Mm me. So, um, so my son will sit down and be like, Oh, let's play, you know, dinosaurs or publisher. And he like, we're like mimicking out the like conversations. And I'm just like, Lord, help me the entire time. (laughs) This is just, this is just unnatural for me, you know, but we're doing it. Uh, and I actually got the boys a, it's like a, I tried to get one that had no colors, like a natural wood one, but I have this, I guess it's like a firehouse. Yeah. It's essentially a dollhouse. It's like a firehouse and it has like all, all the different furniture and all the different yeah. things. But, um, but yeah, it's like right now it's still like Paw Patrol and PJ Masks and we're doing rescues and we're doing, you know, like something bad has to happen and we have to go and rescue all the people and I'm there and I'm doing it. But if I know that I only have to do it for five or 10 minutes, I'm more inclined to sit and, you know, if that's the activity they choose to, to join in because sometimes it's just not my vibe, totally. you know? And, you know, um, I instruct parents to ask their child, how do you want me to play with you today? Tell me exactly what you would like me to do. And I can't tell you how many kids will say, you know, I just want you to watch. Hmm. Or they'll say, here, you're going to be this dinosaur and all you have to do is roar. Yeah. That's all you do. You just roar and you do exactly what the child is telling you to do because they are, if we like look at this as a stage, they're the director's. And we're the players, we're the actors. Mm. And the director is the one who gets to say what the actors do. Um, And the director has full creative um, license to do that. Um, So I think that kind of takes the pressure off to feel like I need to be this creative, you know, (laughs) parent who can hop into that world or whatever make-believe world that they're creating. That is so not, not necessary at all. Um, I think right, like, your, will, your willingness to get down is is really enough. That is enough. Like, do I need to be a trained drama therapist? Because that's Please. never going to happen. <laughs> never. Not ever happening. But, um, no. but it's interesting. That raises another question for me really quickly is that like you're talking about them being the director and sort of me mm-hmm. being sort of the actor in the play. Like, help me out here. Real honest question. It's like, like, they have to learn these social interpersonal skills of back and mm-hmm. forth and turn taking. And how does that work if we're allowing them to direct all of the play? Mm-hmm. Really great question. They are learning those skills with same aged peers. Uh, and that's okay. where they need to learn those skills, not with parents. Um, it, it is not necessary. I find that when parents um, do try to be in charge of, of, of you know, controlling the play, um, in any way, it almost always increases some anxiety in the child. Um, uh, children will report feeling like failures and losers. They will um, disengage from the play. They will get angrier faster. Um, and this is, of course, my anecdotal experience over the last almost decade of, of doing this work. Um, right. So what I, but, but I will say, let me, let me say this. When we start introducing board games, so Candyland at three, Shoots and Ladders at like three or four, um, yeah. and then, you know, other, what's the one, uh, Trouble at five, um, those games 
Those have rules. Uno has rules. Jenga has rules. And now we have to practice rule following and and turn-taking. Those are different kinds of games. Um, those, those types of games, I think, are also important, right? So we're talking a lot about independent play and child-led play, which is extremely important, important for the relationship, important for understanding who our child is and understanding how our child sees the world. But also board games, Um, are a fabulous way when the children are old enough. It's a great way to promote family bonding and family togetherness. And yes, working on those, those social skills of how do I win? How do I lose? How do I take turns? How do I wait patiently? How do I, you know, fill in the blank? All of the, all the things that those types of games um, encourage. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense. Because I think about like we work with a lot of um, children who have behavioral diagnosis at my work. So like ADHD and, you know, um, like attention challenges sitting on the carpet at school Mm -hmm. and and turn taking and impulsivity and executive functioning, these types of things, Mm -hmm. these big words that none of you really need to understand if you don't have a child, you know, like struggling with these things. But um so we we work a lot in like a play therapy mode of helping to regulate. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like a watch, wait, wonder um, approach to develop independent play and like the age group that we're talking about is sort of different in my mind when I compare it to my work in the context because it's a lot of using games, stop and go games and different things to help build and increase that like self-regulation. Yes. But we could also, in addition to that, we could also use child-led play for um, for that population so that we can help them understand their body in a different level, in a different way. Um, I work a lot with children who have ADHD and I'm, I'm pretty much like a big child led play enthusiast. And it's really pretty much, I would say mostly what I advocate for and what I teach and support in my therapy sessions. And I have seen children, um, really struggle just to stay organized in child-led play and over time helping them build um, some mindfulness and some awareness between what their body is doing and what their mind is thinking. Um, we're able to build the uh, connections in the brain between the mind and the body and these children are able to embark on child-led play in a more empowered and less impulsive and self-controlled manner. Um, so, so I think both are really valuable and important. And I think it's important for parents to know that we have all of these wonderful tools with play. And, and really, I, I don't know if I'd say like one is better than the other. I don't really love like judgment terms like that. Um, but they just promote different things. And when we give our child the opportunity to, you know, have access to these different things that, that can be promoted, then, um, you know, they benefit and we benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I love this conversation so much and it's, um, like always kind of opens and challenges my mind to think about play and how important it is for our kids. Because like, I think that there's a difference between, um, like, how should I say this? Like wanting our kids to be entertained so that they're Mm -hmm. sort of preoccupied and quiet at Mm -hmm. the end of the day versus having kids really engaged in their play and like really like having substance to it, if that makes sense. Do you know well, what I they, mean? Don't, they don't need us to entertain them. Everything is new yeah. and exciting to a young child. Everything that they 
experience is entertaining. My, my son goes, goes crazy. He gets crazy excited over making a smoothie. I mean, he dances, he runs in circles. He jumps up and down (laughs) because he's obsessed with the ninja. I mean, come on. I want, I want to be that excited (laughs) over the ninja. You know, he just, just (laughs) loves it. And when, you know, that, that's the beauty of, 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 of childhood is everything is magical and wonderful and new and interesting. And really, I want to invite all parents to let go of the pressure and the the ridiculous idea and standard that we need to be the ones in charge of our child's entertainment and we need to be our child's main playmate. No way. Our children our, our children do not need us like that. Um, they need us to be present yeah. and emotionally available and watchful and attuned and observant. Yeah, they need that. But like, no, they don't need us to be, you know, their Elmo. You know, they they can go and figure out um, all of those things on their own. And it's really we are better off when we step aside and let them discover that and discover what works for them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. One really last practical question before yes. I think about wrapping up is, okay. so what do you say to the parents who are like, uh, or their kids are like, I'm bored, uh-huh. Ooh, but I'm good. bored. Like I have nothing to do. I have nothing, but I'm bored. Yay. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm so glad you're bored. I wonder what, what your brain is going to create. Boredom is is what mm. is what leads us to creativity. Yeah. So the more I'm bored just, a child, yeah. yeah, the more bored a child is, the the more they can create and be imaginative. Yeah. So that's how I would respond. I would say, "Wow, ooh, oh, being bored is exciting. I wonder what you're going to create." Oh, like this is an opportunity. Like, let's see what you do with it, kind of thing. Absolutely. Right? Like, this is- yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've responded in similar ways in the past. Like, oh, like I wonder like what you could build. Uh-huh. Because we have lots of just different, you know, like building things or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, he's like 45 minutes deep into building this whole elaborate city or whatever on the floor with his road and his blocks and he's making houses and he's doing all these things with just a moment of like boredom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's so funny because if you're not attuned and if this isn't sort of a something that you have even come across or thought about to make a priority, then it's like, okay, like, let me turn on Paw Patrol, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's just like, and, and especially when we're talking like early years, me home with three kids, three and under, it's like that, that's an easy thing because I'm trying to survive the day. Like, it's like survival mode right now, right? Like, it's a little bit of a different, um, maybe place to be in terms of my, my priorities in that moment, I guess. I don't know. But anybody who's listening, who has a young baby, I want them to think about um, this style of play, independent child-led play, as being the antidote to screen time. So the more Mm. opportunities that we give our very, very young babies, um, you know, to, to be able to build these skills, to be able to build frustration tolerance, to be able to exercise their own, you know, cause and effect hypothesis testing ways of being in the world, um, we will, uh, we will actually have less need for screen time as our children um, mm. become older. They will know what to do with boredom. They will have more frust- uh, more tolerance, I, w- I should say, around boredom and more excitement around um, around creativity and spontaneity. Um, so yeah. I, I do want to um, I do want to encourage parents to 
uh, think about that. And even if you don't have a young child, if you have children who are older, it, it's a little bit harder to wean off of, you know, especially if we're doing like excess, excess screen time or always responding to boredom like that. It's a little bit harder. Um, but the, it will, it, it, it can be done. We can wean our ch- children off from it slowly and encourage them to use their full bodies, their full brains, their full hearts um, in doing what they're really designed to do, which is to play, create, and explore. Mm-hmm. And also understanding too, like like you said, giving the permission that you don't have to be your child's playmate all the time and you don't have to like solve their boredom, you know, yes. and like that that they can create and build and come up with things on their own and, mm-hmm. and leaving them with a little bit of tension to do that. So giving the parent permission to not have to be always sitting, you know, in face-to-face down with the play. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, that, that you give them those between like five to 15 minutes of the day of really attuned play, but then then it is their job to do the work to, to create and to play and to entertain themselves really. That's right. right. That's that's their work. That is the child's work. Absolutely. And I think when we have that division of responsibility, we know what our job is in the family. We know what our children's job is in the family and we don't step on each other's toes. We're all going to feel a little bit happier and we're going to function a little bit, a um, little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And when I really started to try and like limit and, and wean away from the screen time, mm-hmm. um, like we do earn some time and have it for some quiet times during nap when the kids are sleeping and things. Mm-hmm. But when um, when I tried to wean away from it, I really realized that I missed it more than the kids did because mm-hmm. it just took the stimulation down in the room sometimes. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. my kids really didn't miss it as much as as I did just to like scroll on my phone and check out for a minute. Uh-huh. And you know what? Some days are still like that yeah. and that's okay yeah. if, you, if that's where you're at and that's what you're going through. But um, but yeah, my kids don't really, like they notice or like they may want to show when they want to have like a quiet moment just to veg, but like really they're they're quite happy to, we do, we're going to be doing like calming jars this weekend and they're already plotting like the things they're going to put in their jar. We're going to do. Brilliant. Like, yeah, you know, and just, they just, they're content with it. And it's more me having to. <laughs> well, I also give you, know. you permission and all parents permission yeah. to, you know, get be distracted at times. It's okay. Um, even there's a great yeah. anecdote about Abe Lincoln. Um, he was so engrossed in a in a book while he was pulling his child's wagon. The wagon fell over and the kids fell out and he just kept on walking because he was so engrossed in his book. So when we're talking centuries of parents needing to find moments of distraction to be able to get through yeah. the day. So that's okay. There's no totally. problem there. Yeah. We are allowed to allowed to find ourselves, you know, going into the bathroom and locking the door so we can, you know, <laughs> scroll on our phone and use the toilet in peace. You know, do do your thing. Exactly. No problem. <laughs> yeah. And it's not about like, and, and I bring that up to say, it's not about perfection Mm-mm. here. Never. You know, it's not about doing this a hundred percent of the time and always being accessible and getting it right every single time. Mm. It's really about being attuned to and connecting with your kids yeah. and allowing them some space to do the work themselves. And yeah. that's going to be helpful and beneficial for you as the parent and extremely beneficial for them as the child as well. Oh, yes. Absolutely. 
Yes, please. Never, yeah. No need to ever do anything 100%. Our children do need a reason to go to therapy when they're older. And our children do, you know, they, they do need us to make mistakes because that really teaches them how to accept their own mistakes. And it teaches them how to how to live in this imperfect world that um, that we live in. So our imperfections are really a gift to our children. Hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's such an interesting and um, like encouraging mm-hmm. perspective. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us here today. And where are you hanging out? Where can people find you? Because I know you've got lots of resources and things for moms. Oh yes. Okay. So I'm. Um, you can find me on Instagram. South Bay Mommy and Me is my handle. And um, I have an online parenting program. Um, it's geared for parents two to five, raisingchildrenyoulike.com. If you go to my my website, southbaymommyandme.com, and you sign up for my newsletter, um, you can have access for free to my uh, Becoming a Mindful Mama download, as well as my Playroom Essentials for Children Two to Five. Um, so highly suggest joining that joining that newsletter. I promise I won't spam you. I, I only message probably probably email like once a month I'm you know I'm not great at I'm not great at my newsletters just yet um I'm still figuring those things out and then of course if you're local in the south bay of Los Angeles we have great classes um birth to birth to 24 months infant and toddler classes as well as monthly parenting groups for parents of children two to five so lots of things Mm -hmm. going on and then of course if you are in this if you're local and you need um and you're looking for therapy for your child or for yourself um, please, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to me and I will give you a consultation. We can talk about it and see if it's a really good fit for you. Yeah. And I absolutely love what you're building there. And I love the community you're creating and how much you're investing in these moms and these babies and the graduation (laughs) that you just had for your groups with their little gowns and caps and pictures and celebrating with those moms. Like it's really something special that you're doing. And I appreciate how invested you are, the way that you're showing up in the world. And, you know, I just, I appreciate you and the work you're doing so much. Thank you, Erica. I appreciate that. And likewise, Mama. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for me. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. 
Until next time, girls.